So please sit comfortably. I'll give you a little bit more instruction before we finish tonight. As you're aware, I think most of you, the purpose or the occasion for this retreat is the commemoration of 20 years since Venerable Ajahn Chah passed away. Uh, my first teacher, I met him 28 years ago, so not long before the end of his life. And I imagine many of you have never met him, but probably all have met him through his books and tapes. And he's had a profound influence on uh, the greater Buddhist community around the world. Um, many of his disciples have gone on to establish monasteries in different countries outside of Thailand and obviously inside Thailand. And his teachings uh, have traveled far and wide in books and on the internet and been translated into something like 30 different languages. So a very influential teacher, um, even for those who've never met him. For those who did meet him, a great sense of gratitude and appreciation of his own practice. He practiced with great dedication, great sincerity uh, ever since he was a young monk. And the results of that can be seen in his teachings and the great wisdom, uh, compassion displayed in his teachings. And also the Sangha that survives him. One of the few teachers that uh, their Sangha has actually grown since the time of their death. And most teachers, you might imagine, the teacher passes away and the disciples, the students, are still there, but there's sort of there's a sense of um, ending or passing with the, with the death of the teacher. But with Ajahn Chah, he seemed to have set the ball in motion, um, perhaps in a smaller way, but reminiscent of the Buddha himself when the Buddha gave his first teaching, the Dhamma Chaka Pawatana Sutta. They say the Dhamma, the wheel of Dhamma was set in motion and the truth that the Buddha pointed to in his teachings was uh, revealed, explained and has gone on to help people in their practice for the end of suffering since that day. So in a similar fashion, Ajahn Chah's teachings have inspired many to become monks and nuns or lay practitioners to practice the Dhamma. And that uh, influence continues to spread over time. So now there are more monasteries than when Ajahn Chah was alive. More people have heard his teachings read his teachings than when he was alive which is quite unusual and we're uh, 
an expression of that as well here, coming here today uh, to come on a retreat for nine days in the monastery. We're perhaps you might say showing our gratitude to Ajahn Chah through our own practice. Uh, we can make our own practice for this period an offering or giving something back to him but also for our own benefit and for the benefit of those around us. Uh, we can put our effort into the practice in these, in these next few days. As you know, it's not necessarily all easy. Um, many of you are staying in tents. We've already had our first shower. We say the angels were sprinkling holy water on you earlier today. Um, blessing you in your efforts, in your practice. So a little bit of rain here and there is nothing to be too worried about. But living in a tent uh, is not so easy, not so comfortable. We have to share the facilities, uh, the showers, toilets, kitchen, so on. But if you think about it, although there's some maybe inconvenience in the uh, where we'll be living, it's actually closer to the way Ajahn Chah lived for much of his life and even the Buddha, how the Buddha lived. You know, the Buddha was born, well, he wasn't born in the forest, but he began his practice in the forest. He was enlightened in the forest. And he taught in the forest. And he lived very simply. And he pointed to the value of simplicity in the practice as a support for helping to focus the mind on Dhamma, on meditation and on the truth. And you probably all agree in daily life, our daily life can become very busy and complex and our concern for the, the material comforts that the world has to offer can become very overwhelming in our lives to the point where we often get so caught up in it all that we forget the Dhamma and we forget to practice. So although living here for these few days is a little bit, uh, requires some effort and patience with the lifestyle and the weather and so on. I hope you can appreciate the value of it as a supporting uh, condition or a supporting factor in your practice of meditation and learning about the Buddhist path to the end of suffering. Many people have noted, if you read Ajahn Chah's books or listen to his talks, although he did sometimes talk about techniques of meditation, levels of attainment, samadhi, jhana, nibbana and so on, 
uh, he could mention these things and he could talk about the technical side of meditation practice and Dhamma practice. Much more common though was talking about more ordinary things in the practice because that's actually most people's experience. We're dealing with our own state of mind in different situations throughout our day, whether we're meditating or we're eating or we're bathing or we're walking around. It's the more mundane activities and things of this life that are often important and often more the place where we're learning about Dhamma. Um, and as many teachers have said, Ajahn Chah, one of his gifts and one of the emphasis in his practice was to um, provide an opportunity for each of us to see the Dhamma for ourselves, to practice in a suitable environment for us to see Dhamma, understand Dhamma through our own efforts. So a suitable environment, well, is a place maybe like this, a monastery, which is a reasonably quiet place out of the city, in the forest, in the countryside. Um, there's some basic facilities, place to sleep, place to wash, place to eat, but very few luxuries or frills, and no entertainments or distractions as such. There's a routine, you know, we follow the daily routine in the monastery, we rise and come to the morning meeting and meditate and chant and go through the day following the routine. When it's time to do chores, we do chores. When it's time to meditate, we meditate. When it's, when it's time to eat, we eat and so on. You follow the routine, so there's a routine established. Uh, there's the precepts that we follow we follow various guidelines on restraint in our behavior. We don't harm each other or animals. We don't steal. We don't uh, commit sexual misconduct. And for a retreat, we're actually practicing celibacy. Um, we don't give in to unskillful speech, you know, lying or abusive speech, rude speech and we don't take drink or drugs, we don't eat in the evening, we don't uh, indulge in entertainments or music or wear perfume or makeup or jewelry at this time, and we sleep on a simple bed. So we have the monastery routine, we have the precepts, we have the peace of the forest. This is the environment or the fertile ground for our practice. Over the next few days I'll also talk about the technique of meditation and give some help or support in how to overcome obstacles and what to expect and what to, uh, where to learn and where to look in your meditation. But it's important to see the importance of the environment, the place and the, the way of practice as that's part of the teaching. Uh, 
just as much as the words of the Buddha or the words of Ajahn Chah are the, the teacher, uh, the place and the environment are the teacher, just giving us the chance and the opportunity to see our own mind, to see where suffering is arising. Ajahn Chah always said, you know, suffering arises in the mind. The place to end suffering is right there in the mind where suffering arises. The end of suffering is right there in the same place. It's nowhere else. So suffering and the end of suffering, they go together. So you might say, well, why do we suffer? We suffer because we're attaching to something. When there's attachment, there's suffering. If there's a lot of attachment, a lot of suffering. If you let go of some of your attachment, there'll be less suffering. If you completely let go of your attachment, you'll completely free yourself from suffering. So that's a kind of reflection we can use in our daily life in the monastery, whether we're sitting or walking meditation or just moving around or doing chores or something. If you've noticed your mind is falling into suffering, well, look and see where am I attaching? What's causing this suffering? When I say look, it's a quality of mindful awareness getting to know yourself better, seeing yourself more clearly from moment to moment through your meditation or through your day. And you'll see where attachment is arising and where suffering is coming from it. So the monastery provides a place, a field, or a place where we can observe suffering and arising and passing away, but in our own minds. And it's just a suitable environment to do that. Not too much happening, not too complicated. Everybody has the same goal, the same interest to practice and to learn more about the teachings and deepen their understanding of the teachings. So we support each other in the practice. Uh, but the place of practice is inside our own mind, our own heart which we carry with us wherever we go. And naturally there'll be some difficulties sometimes, some obstacles or some different reactions come up in our mind. Because especially the first few days in a monastery, you have to get used to it. You know, it's not the same as when uh, you're at home. Obviously if you're staying in a tent, you're in a less comfortable place than when you're at home. Um, the routine is not the same routine as when you're at home. You keep the precepts, you're practicing mindfulness. So you will have different reactions come up. You'll notice different states of mind, different experiences through, through your day. And you'll have to adjust a little bit and be patient with the the changes in your reactions and your thoughts and feelings. You have to get used to living with other people you're normally not living with. Some people like it one way, other people like it another way. Some people talk a lot, some people talk very little. Some people are like this, some people are like that. 
as another source of suffering sometimes, learning to live with other people. But all of it is part of the practice. And Ajahn Chah very good at encouraging us to take it all as a teaching. Encourage us to see everything as a teaching, something to learn from. We learn from our own reactions, even if we're suffering, we have some you know, bad moods or we're feeling very miserable or the rain is falling and we're getting soaking wet or whatever. You know, there'll be different experiences we have but try to see it all as something we can learn from and look more closely. You know, where am I attaching? What am I? How am I creating suffering out of this situation? How can I let go of this suffering? How can I free myself from suffering in this situation? And this is where mindfulness and wisdom helps us through the practice. And there's a phrase Ajahn Chah sometimes used, very common in Northeast Thailand. Mak ngai dayak lambak daidi, which means, more or less, uh, progress in the practice. will not come if you're too casual or take it too easy. If you go through a little bit of difficulty or some difficulty, you'll tend to get good results. And this is something that he mentioned quite often because it's often the difficulties, the obstacles and the suffering that we actually learn from. We have to use patience though, and so that's another teaching you'd give all the time. Otton, which means patience, endurance. Um, but if we're patient enough to go through whatever difficulty or obstacle we're experiencing, usually you find coming out of the other side of it, you're a little bit wiser and you might have let go of something that previously was bothering you or causing you trouble. And you can see a monastery is an ideal place for that because it's not, we don't always get things the way we want. Sometimes sitting meditation for long periods we get a bit of pain or discomfort or feel restless or bored or agitated. Sometimes the place is a little difficult because of the weather or the hard floor or the hard bed. Maybe the food is not to our liking and so on. You know, there may be all kinds of situations that stimulate uh, reactions and suffering in the mind or maybe just the mind itself throws up memories or issues to do with our life elsewhere outside the monastery. But all of this, if we have enough patience and we can see this is something we might learn from, uh, we shouldn't be too afraid of a little bit of difficulty. We don't have to look for difficulty, it will come all by itself. So you don't have to deliberately sort of give yourself a hard time or make life difficult for yourself but just be willing to be patient with some of the
difficulty and keep applying the teachings and the practice. So Ajahn Chah always encourages us to develop this quality of knowing, mindfully knowing our state of mind, mindfully knowing our body, mindfully knowing our mind from moment to moment through our day, through our meditation. Keep bringing your awareness back to the present moment and where you see suffering arise, just keep letting go. And the more you do this, the better at it you get, the more skilled you get and the more you understand what you have to do. At first it's very difficult. There'll be times when you're very, very restless or distracted and the mind won't calm down and you can't seem to let go of anything. And it's as if we're just a victim of our own uh, suffering, different states of mind. And some people, they come on retreat and they end up lots of tears flowing. It's not tears of joy and release and liberation, it's tears of suffering. <laughs> too much pain or too many memories of things that have happened in their life or whatever. But we have to learn to just be very, very patient and accept. Keep bringing the mind back to the present moment and just knowing whatever the experience is. You can see even the most difficult situation or the most painful feeling, the most unpleasant memory, they all arise and pass away. Nothing lasts, nothing will stick in your mind. And that's where we gain insight. You start to see the impermanent, changeable nature of our experience. And also we can maybe concentrate more, bring up more some of the wholesome reflections, some of the more positive qualities of mind. Uh, that again, this is a very suitable environment for that. So every day we're bringing up more mindfulness, and more patience and tolerance, bringing up more wise reflection, actually using the Dhamma teachings to reflect on our experience and gain some understanding, and bring up more kindness, generosity. You know, if you can't practice kindness and generosity in a monastery, then you know, not much hope, is there? We can't, it's gonna be harder elsewhere in the world. So a monastery is a place dedicated to the practice of kindness, practice of generosity. That's not just, say, a physical thing. Say we physically can practice kindness and generosity, can help out with the chores and the uh, different activities in the monastery, cleaning up, looking after the place. But it's also a mental thing. Your kindness starts as a thought. So part of our meditation is developing the thought of kindness towards ourself, goodwill to ourself, goodwill to our families, to our friends, to the other people on retreat and so on. You're putting the, the Buddha's teachings into practice by developing the theme of kindness and goodwill in your daily meditation and generosity. And this will have a very good effect on the heart. Yeah? It calms you down, helps you to let go of some of those attachments, 
helps to develop more positive energy, more effort in the practice, and so on. You know, it just leads on to more wholesome, good things. A very common experience here on a meditation retreat, we have certain periods where there's group meditation and then there's certain periods where you're free to meditate on your own or do walking meditation or sitting meditation on your own. But you see, if you notice other people around you putting effort into their meditation, you'll probably find you're more inspired to do it. And that's an act of kindness. If we put effort into our own practice, we're being a good example for others, helping others to be more energetic in their practice. Ajahn Chah always encouraged that. He said, if you do something, we'll really put your heart into it. If you're meditating, we'll really put your heart into it. You really try to sit, sit up straight and put effort into concentrating on your meditation object, developing some insight. And don't do it in a half-hearted way or in a sort of casual way, but really put your heart into it and you'll get more out of it. If you're helping clean up or do something around the monastery, well, really put your heart into it. You know, it's, it's for your own benefit and for the benefit of others. When we do something with a really clear intention, good intention, then it brightens our mind and it has a good effect on others. If you're meditating, you know, always see if you can put a little bit more effort into your meditation. Sit for a bit longer or walk for a bit longer. Many times people here have said how they were meditating in the hall and they were wavering a little bit and thinking, oh, that's enough for now, I'll stop. But then they looked up and they realized, oh, a lot of other people are sitting here. Maybe I should go on longer. They close their eyes and meditate for another 15 minutes. And then they start to doubt again, think, mm, maybe enough for today. And they open the eyes again Oh, everybody's still here meditating. I better do a bit longer. So just quietly meditate. Another 15 minutes. Open the eyes, thinking, oh, I'll stop now. And then, oh, everyone's still here. <laughs> and they go on like that. They keep noticing everyone else is putting effort, so they think, oh, I better not stop, I'll carry on. So we can help each other in a positive way, in that way. If one person puts effort in their practice, other people see them, maybe they become inspired to try a bit harder and do it longer and so on. Ajahn Chah himself was well known for his own effort in meditation. Even when he was quite old, he would still lead the Sangha and laity in meditation sessions. He'd come out and he'd sit, sit like a rock. He wouldn't move, just go very peaceful and quiet. And if he wanted to, he could sit all night without moving. Or if he wanted to help other people to sit longer or train others, then he might give a Dhamma talk and he wouldn't stop going all night. I'm not sure I could get away with that if I kept talking now for another six hours non-stop. <laughs> I don't know if anyone would still be here. 
But when Ajahn Chah talked, people respected him and they listened and they wouldn't go away, they were too ashamed. So they'd sit there. So he'd use that situation. He might go on all night from, say, 8 or 9 in the evening through till 3 a.m. Keep talking about Dhamma. His mind was so bright and energetic he could do that. So he would create a situation where others could meditate along as he's talking. So he might not do the practice for you, but he'd encourage you and give you opportunities to deepen and, and, and put more effort into your practice. Or he would meditate at times when people thought, oh, it's time to stop, he would meditate. So when the weather was really, really hot and everyone was sweaty and thinking, oh, we should just give up and go and rest, he'd carry on meditating. Or sometimes in Thailand in the winter there it's very cold and there's no glass on the windows and the wind would be howling through the meditation hall and all the monks would be thinking, oh, time to stop. And he'd carry on, giving them a chance to contemplate a bit of cold feeling and their reaction to it. Or in England once, when he first went to England the first time, the Wihara they had was a just a house on a high street, Hampstead High Street, and opposite the house was a pub. And they'd booked everyone to come for meditation on a Friday night. And Friday night was live music night. And just seven o'clock, they just sat down for their one hour meditation session. And it's just the time when the band was tuning up, turning on their amplifiers. And Ajahn Chah started meditating and within a few minutes there was this loud rock music coming into the Vihara. And there's nothing they could do about it. And all the monks and all the visitors, they're all sure Ajahn Chah would stop because it was so loud they thought, oh, he'll just stop and we'll just sort of end the session early tonight. But he didn't. He carried on meditating right through for an hour with loud rock music blasting everybody's ear holes. And he always said, you know, if you're bothered by something, you have to look, what's, what's the problem? What are you attached to? So on that occasion, he said, well, is the problem the, the loud noise of the music or is the problem our attachment to it? You know, very simple reflection. If you're, being, you're meditating and say there's a loud sound before you get angry or upset about that sound, just stop and ask, well, what, what is happening here? There's sound reaching the ears. The ears are hearing the sound. There's the awareness of that sound. And that awareness is arising and passing away. Even when it's a loud sound, you might notice there's moments when you forget it, you don't notice it, you're thinking or you're looking or you're doing something else. It's just sound waves coming to the ear. There's the awareness of it, and then it passes away. Even when it's very loud, unpleasant, so there's unpleasant feeling arising with that sound. But it arises, passes away. That's when you establish awareness, mindfulness, and you contemplate it. If you don't contemplate it, it'll just be, mm, 
this terrible sound, I don't like this sound, this sound is disturbing me and we let the mind get shaken and it becomes a cause of suffering because we're attaching to the sound. So even very unpleasant situations like a loud noise or a pain in your leg or your back or something, if you apply mindfulness and reflect on it, you can free your mind from suffering in that moment. So Ajahn Chah would teach us to use our experience in this way, not to always try and sort of control experience or get rid of the things we don't like and hold on to the things we do like, but rather to open the mind just to see, well, where does liking and disliking arise from? And he said, always try to bring your mind to that place in the middle where it's neither falling into the attachment of liking or the attachment of disliking, but it's just knowing things as they are without grasping onto them or holding onto them. So these are some reflections on Ajahn Chah and his teachings, which we're remembering through this retreat and I'll give you some more teachings over the next few days. Uh, we have the routine which you're probably already becoming familiar with. Uh, this morning chanting begins in here at 5 a.m. Um, so there's periods during the day when you have free time and this hall will always be open. You can always come and do sitting meditation in here or can walk on the veranda or outside during those free times. Um, and there's also the group meditations, uh, sitting and walking meditation. 